Good morning, church. It's good to be with you on this Lord's Day. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about uh, making the best decision. Making the best decision. You know, so much has happened in the last four months that it's it's hard to process, isn't it? Um, Some days life seems unbearably heavy. And then there are other days when I find myself extremely grateful, extremely grateful for who he is and what he's done. I'm wondering maybe if you're finding yourself in some of those spaces as well. Uh, Maybe I'm talking to some of you this morning who have had a hard time concentrating or sleeping or even eating well. Maybe you're worried about your family, your health, your job, your finances, or maybe you're someone who've experienced a significant loss. Uh, More than ever, I've been reminding our staff and some of the people that I'm close to on the importance of the rhythms of self-care during these times. So I want to I want to implore you again, I'm a brother, sister in Christ, that, that you, you prioritize community, that you prioritize sacred rhythms of silence and solitude and Sabbath, that you prioritize time in the Word, you prioritize time in prayer, and you also, if needed, seek help in the form of spiritual direction or even a good therapist or a counselor. I've been praying that you'd find a gentle space to care for your soul well. I've also been praying, though, and I've been alluding to this for weeks on end. I've been also been praying, though, that we can grow from this. You know, so much of our growth happens through pain. And pain comes in two forms. Uh, there is uh, pain that we choose, which is called discipline, and I don't want to minimize that at all. And the importance of discipline, especially during this time. And there's also pain that we don't choose, and Scripture calls that trials. Neither kind should be wasted. But the season of COVID has has reminded us of this trial of global proportions. And as I've been saying for weeks on end, wisdom calls us to not waste this moment. But what are we to learn from it? You know, you ask enough people about their faith with God, and you'll begin to notice a common theme. And that common theme is that many of us come to faith or grow in our faith and deepens. Our faith deepens in a season of crisis. Can anybody relate out there? Cancer, spouse of 20 years calls it quits, or we're laid off from a job unexpectedly. A global pandemic hits that impacts every aspect of our lives. And I've said this a number of times and maybe in this season it's coming to hit us closer to home what a crisis does what a crisis does is that it forces us to deal with this fundamental truth about life and that is this we are not in control we are not in control we could live with the delusion that we can control the outcome of our lives and lord knows how so many of us try and manage outcomes of our lives. And listen, the truth is, the more educated you are and the more resources that you have, short of some supernatural intervention of God, we live with this delusion for a long, long time. 
And I'll tell you why this delusion of trying to manage our outcomes of our lives is so spiritually deadly. See, Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 says this, Man shall not live on bread alone, but what? But from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the truth that Jesus is pressing into us is this, we don't possess the power or the resources to sustain our lives. And thinking that we do is utterly foolish. We are dependent on God for everything, every second of our lives. But we are a people of profound delusion about control. And if it wasn't for pain, suffering, and crisis, we would never come to see, church, that we are finite, that we are fragile, and that we are limited creatures. It is only when something is taken out of your life that makes you strong. You lose your job. You lose your health. Some part of your life that is important for you, like your safety, your comfort, or joy, that you feel like you're losing control. And by God's grace, it is not until you lose control of life that you see this truth. You and I never had it. It's losses, troubles, crisis that breaks us out of this profound delusion. And maybe, maybe this pandemic has resulted in a crisis for some of you, vocational, relationally, spiritually, and yes, financially. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to use this to open your eyes, reveal our pride, and help us see that we are not in control. Maybe, just maybe, if you will let him, God will use this to soften your heart so that you could turn to him, relinquish control, surrender to his lordship, and find true life that you've been looking for. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus actually talked about this delusion of control. He tells a parable about the rich fool. Is a man whose land produced an abundance of crops. So he builds these large barns to, 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 to store his crops. And believing he had security well into the future, he says to himself, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says, you fool. Because he didn't know that that very night, death was coming for him. And his delusion of control would be utterly shattered. And Jesus ends his parable with this. Luke chapter 12, verse 21. And this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. See, if I'm completely honest with myself, and maybe if some of you are completely honest with yourself, we can't be too hard on this guy. Because can you relate to wanting to secure your future by storing up things for yourself? Can you relate to that? See, what this pandemic does is it reminds us on a daily basis, doesn't it, that we don't control the future. We don't even know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know if school's going to start in the fall, parents. Ah. Oh. 
We don't know if our jobs will still be there tomorrow. We don't know if our family members will be healthy tomorrow. The pain is real, the anxiety is real, and the fear is real. In a world that seemingly seems out of control, it's easy to do what this guy did. And if you sit there and go, not me, I'll, I'll struggle with that. Well, let me ask you a question. Which of these two statements cause more anxiety for you? There is no money in the bank? Or there is no God? Which causes more anxiety for you? There's no money in the bank? There's no God. Listen, it is, it's, not, it's not a sin to be concerned about the future or the plan for the future, but you're never going to find peace by trying to figure out the future. I declare this truth over all of us. Peace is found in putting our trust in the one who holds the future in his hands. I declare this truth. The one who holds the future in his hands is bigger than this global pandemic. He is bigger than the global economy. He is bigger than the guy who sits in the White House. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. My unknown future is in the hands of an all-knowing God. And he says he loves me and is for me. And he says that I could trust him and surrender to his lordship. And today, we're going to talk about how practically and tangibly we could sing these songs all day long, but how practically and tangibly we could begin to say, God, I trust my unknown future with you. God, I relinquish control and I surrender to your lordship. Paul, Apostle Paul, is going around collecting money for the church in Jerusalem that has gone through an extraordinarily severe famine. And he's collecting uh, money from various churches in Asia Minor. And he has collected it from Church of Corinth, but he's coming for a second collecting. And check this out. He is writing to a group of people who are struggling financially. And what he says to them is this. He explains what happens when you and I are rich towards God, when we give to kingdom work. He says, in case you're afraid to be rich towards God because of what might happen in the future, here is how you ensure now, today, that God will take care of your future. Here's what you cannot tangibly do today to ensure that our Heavenly Father will care for your future. If you're sitting there and you're, there going, you're sitting there going, you know, I'd love, I'd love to give, but, 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 but what if, what if, what if tomorrow, lose my job? What if, health cry, what, what if, what if? I have to take matters into my own, I gotta, I gotta take care of me, I gotta take matters into my own hands. Like, let me just ask you just a simple question, that is this. How did it work out for you the last time you took matters into your own hands? And you decided, I know better. Like, God created all this, Lord of heaven, and earth, but when it comes to this, I know better. Colossians 1.16, and in him, say with me, all things hold together. What was true in the garden is true of every aspect of our lives. When you and I take matters into our own hands, and decide we'd make a better king than the king, things eventually fall apart. It's true for careers. 
It's true for marriages. It's true for our financial life as well. As I constantly remind you, if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So 2 Corinthians is where we're going to be this morning. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Chapter 9. We're going to look up, start verse 6. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let's just think the obvious here, okay? That is, we know that there are some people who have twisted these verses into saying the more money you give, the more money you'll make. And fewer things get me as upset as health, wealth, and prosperity gospel preachers and churches that have done profound harm, especially to the poor. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't affect me. Let me tell you how this mindset kind of comes into the church. See, if, if you, you believe the lie. You believe the lie that says, if I do everything right, and that includes things like giving, and God gives you and me, health, wealth, and prosperity, which often translates to, in our minds, we think, guarantee success without pain, without suffering, without trials. So if you are experiencing pain, suffering, and trials, then you're either not living right, or you don't have enough faith, or maybe God is not who he says he is. You know what that is? That's paganism disguised as the gospel because it's about trying to control deity with our sacrifices and with our offerings. It's Jesus who said, Jesus, the one we follow, who said, in this world, you, want, you will have trouble. I did, Jesus says, and anyone who follows me will too, but take heart because I have, what? Overcome the world. Is that a good word? Is that a good news? The promise of Jesus is not, if you do everything right, everything will go well. The promise is that the one who has overcome the world will never leave you in the midst of pain, suffering, and trial. He will be with you in the pain, suffering, and trial. And he will one day put an end to all suffering, pain, and trial. That's the good news. And if you are someone who's struggling, experiencing setback physically, financially, relationally, now you hear a voice that says, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not living right. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe, maybe God is punishing. Maybe God is abandoning me. And you recognize the source of that voice and where it comes from. That's not God. Jesus was punished for you so that you would never be. Jesus was abandoned for you so that you'd never be. You and I didn't get into this family because we had enough faith or we lived right. We got into this family, got adopted as sons and daughters of God purely because of grace and grace alone. Can I get an amen? It's good news. Now what Paul does say here though is that you and I do need to think about our money assets and not giving to, and, and giving to kingdom workers uh, so wing. And Paul says, the more seeds you sow into the field, the more of a harvest will come. You've heard the saying, you reap what you sow. And the implication is this, the more generous you and I are in giving to kingdom work, the greater the harvest. That is the promise. The question, of course, is what does that promise entail? I'll get to that in a bit. Verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives, what? Cheerfully. 
And that word cheerfully is a Greek word, hilarion. Not sound familiar? So <laughs> where we get the English word what? Hilarious. What's God saying? Give out of joy, not out of duty. Give out of joy, not out of obligation. Give out of joy because you are in awe at the grace of Christ that is bestowed upon you. Our attitude and motivation, Jesus says, matters more than what we give. But Paul here contrasts the difference between planned giving and unplanned giving. Let me just say a word, just, just a quick word, and I'll pick up on this maybe next week. Some of you have a plan, and that is your generosity is systematic and it's thoughtful. You think carefully and thoughtfully about what ministries and causes you want to support, and you have set aside a certain amount each week or each month to support that ministry or that cause. It is a discipline for you. And it is that discipline that will carry you during times of plenty. And it's a discipline that will carry you during times of want. See, some of us don't have a plan. And you know what inevitably happens if you don't have a plan? You ultimately give God leftovers after you have played, eaten, shopped, and traveled. And you and I could say all day long, God, you're a priority to which God then says, then why are you giving me leftovers? The biblical principle of tithing is not just a percentage. It's about priority. It's a lifestyle commitment of saying, God, you're a priority. I'm seeking your kingdom first. I want my life to reflect that. 20-somethings, can I just, just a brief word. Ask anybody 10, 20, 30 years older than you in our church and ask them when it was that they established that discipline of giving systematically and thoughtfully. And many of them will tell you that they didn't just pick it up, I don't know. It was a discipline that was established, especially when, especially when, and have a whole lot. I want to just encourage and exhort you. In this season, in this season, where you're about to make huge decisions about life, career, and what it means to be a good steward, ask yourself, is this a discipline giving softly and systematically a part of my life? Because ultimately says, God, you are a priority. And Paul tells us what happens when we give. And Paul tells us why we don't have to fear giving to God's work. Verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. <laughs> Preachers like me love Bible verses like this. You know why? There's a sister in our church who loves saying while I'm preaching, make it plain, Pastor Peter, make it plain. And this is as plain as, I don't even have to explain, I don't even have to expound, explain, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. Can you get any more secure than that? Can you get any more secure than that? Furthermore, aren't those exact same reasons why you are afraid to give? 
We want to make sure that in all things, at all times, we will have all that we need. And those exact same reasons why we don't trust God, especially when things are tight and hard. Isn't that why we take matters into our own hands? Well, let me ask you a question, child of God. How can you possibly make sure that you will, in all things, at all times, have all that you need? How can you possibly carry that pressure? Which one of us is able to control the future, the job market, our health, our economy, who gets elected, and thousands of other factors that need to come together so that in all things, at all times, we will have all that we need. Who is more capable, you or our Heavenly Father? You or our Heavenly Father? Isn't this why you're so tired? Isn't that why you and I are so exhausted and anxious? Because no amount of storing things up for ourselves can stop cancer. It can't stop divorce. It can't stop broken hearts. It can't stop our children from getting sick. It can't stop a global pandemic that upends our lives. Lay that burden down. Lay that burden down that you carry of trying to make sure that in all things at all times you would have all... You can't I can't. That's why Jesus says in what? Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and promise, promise, promise. You know these verses. And all these things will be given to you as well. See, I know that some of you listening to this right now, you're getting emotional because you're sitting there going, that's my testimony. That's my testimony. In all things, at all times, my Heavenly Father has made sure that I have all that I need. In all things, Peter, at all times, He's made sure that I have all that I need. Here, your Heavenly Father says, I know all that you need right now, even better than you know. But can I, can I just say a word for a second? You know, one of the blessings of this pandemic is in a culture that has confused the difference between wants and needs, let me say what's happened. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm going to talk about it, Cece. Let me tell you what's happened to some of us. Because we live in a culture where ultimately our needs at one point become uh, our wants. And we get to a place where all of a sudden we don't realize that our wants in our minds have become needs. This is a time for you and me to ask a sober reflection question, which is, is my life one that honors God? Because I've chosen the route of biblical simplicity that says, my Father knows what I need and He'll provide. He'll provide. God says, I designed this whole thing. I designed this whole thing. I know how this works. And He says the way it works is if you will trust me relinquish control but god i don't know if trust me relinquish control and so what much or little you have says i will make sure that in all things at all times all that you need 
It's in this context you realize what bless you abundantly means. When God says, I'll bless you abundantly, the blessing that you'll get from generosity, first and foremost, is you'll finally realize, I'll finally realize, it's not us who've carried us. It's not us who've provided for our resources. It's not us and our power and our smarts that causes us to be where we are, we'll finally realize when we relinquish control and trust him in the way that he does, we'll finally realize that when our faith intersects with God's faithfulness, we see who he is. And our fears shrink to their proper size. And you'll stop worrying. For the first time in your life, you'll stop worrying about money. You're eaten up with worry and anxiety. But until you trust what God says, you'll never know true peace, true security, true rest. Do you notice why Paul says God blesses us abundantly? There's not just something for us, something for others. He says so that we could what? Abound in every good work. We have gifts and resources, and God says, the, the gracious God that I am, you get to enjoy some of that. But ultimately, we're not the end. Can I, can I get an amen? God is the end. His glory is the end. Other people are the end. And then he explains what that good work is, verse 9. It is written to the poor. They freely scatter their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness, hello, there's that word again. Anybody? Justice, justice. Righteousness endures forever. Paul is quoting Psalm 112, and I'll see, I get that in a little bit. And we're reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 6 when he says, well, when you give to the poor and the needy, it's not just charity, it's what? Remember? Righteousness. And whenever you see the word righteousness in the Bible, hopefully after all of these weeks of preaching on this, you won't just think personal morality being rightly related to God, but being rightly related to what? Our fellow brothers and sisters working towards equity, standing up for their rights, giving them their due. Psalm 112, verse 4. They're generous and compassionate and righteous. Verse 5, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Verse 9, is what Paul's quoting. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Who is the righteous man? A righteous man or woman is someone who is using their money to put back together, to reweave, to make right all of creation. Generosity is one of the ways, please don't minimize this, that we participate with our God in putting the broken, falling apart world back together. Living justly, start here. Start here! If you go, what does it mean to live justly? All the other things we talked about are amazing and should be a priority, but begin here. Live justly with the resources that God has entrusted to you. God has begun in his death and resurrection the healing process of putting the world back together. And God, your God, my God, says, I am committed to the poor. I am their defender. I am their advocate. And when you and I go, God, look at the brokenness. God, God, look at the poverty in the world. Do something, God says. I have. I have given into your hands seeds. Why are you looking for me to do something supernatural? I have given into your hands seeds, resources, networks, possessions, time, effort, energy. Share that freely. Sow that into the larger human community. Because that is how you and I participate in kingdom work.
Verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Church, 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 simple question. Who supplies the seed to us? Who supplies the seed to us? Paul says, and he who supplies, it's God, the seed itself. The seed itself is from God. There is nothing, there is nothing that we have that we didn't receive from God. Can I get an amen? Everything we have belongs to God. Everything that we have comes from God. And I know we live in a culture that says, man, you worked hard. You earned it. Spend it on yourself. What does God say? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, then why do you boast as though it were not a gift? Again, make it plain. I don't even need to explain he was in there going, but I earned it. But you've earned it with what? God says, you earned it with the air that I've given you as a gift. I earned it, but with what? I earned it with this mind that I've given you as a gift. I earned it, but with what? You earned it with networks and connections and a thousand pieces that needed to come together. I earned it, but with what? Being born into a family that you had nothing to do with. Come on, at the end of the day, even the, even the hardest, most stubborn heart of us, can't can we at least come to admit and say, there are some things that I have nothing to do with. It is a gift. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let me say this as clearly as I can. God says, I replenish those who are committed to my kingdom work. I will replenish those who are committed to my kingdom work. And if this is true, what is the best thing that you can do? Hoard your seeds? Come on, somebody. Can you imagine a farmer who says, I've got these seeds, but you know what? What's going to happen if I sow them? I don't want these seeds to disappear, so I'm just going to... What happens? There's no use in hoarding your seeds, is there? And God says, listen... If you're afraid of what might happen, the smartest thing, the smartest thing you can do right now is to sow now. Because sowing now is an invitation for God to get involved in your future. Giving is an act of surrendering your finances, your life to his lordship and relinquishing control somebody to someone who is way more competent than you and I will ever be. And somebody says, but Peter, I, I don't have a whole lot of seeds. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of seeds right now. Do you know, can I just say this? You know what's beautiful? And you'll get to hear a story at the end of this. You know what's beautiful? is that even though some of us are hurting right now, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of seeds. And I just want, I just want to let, tell you, I see you. I see you. And here's the great news. The great news is that when we all sow, when we all, the kingdom community together sow, the potential is absolutely immense. See, don't just think of giving to kingdom work by yourself or even doing justice work by yourself. It is a community Movement. 
And so when we collectively give, you realize that as long as I'm being faithful with what little I have, but you're being faithful with what much God has given you, as long as we are all being faithful with what we have collectively, corporately, together, God says, I can do a lot with that. Is that good news? See, we're only responsible for what's in our hands. And what's in our hands might not be a whole lot right now. And God knows. God says, I see you. I see you. And outwardly, your seeds may be insignificant, might be small, but you know what? I've entrusted you with that. I've entrusted you with that. And I can do a whole lot. Just as God, Jesus, took a little boy, and all he had was five loaves of bread and two fish. What did he do? He was able to multiply it to feed thousands. God says, look, the question is not what can one person do? The question is, what can the one true God who owns all things, what can that one true God do with our faithfulness? That's the question. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. There's twofold impact to God giving. Lives are changed. Kingdom advances. This is why I love this metaphor. Because sometimes, like so, sometimes, come on, let's be honest. Sometimes when I sell, when I give, sometimes I go, there goes that money I'll never see again. Sometimes I go, I, I, don't, I don't see anything. It's just, it's just, I don't see fruit. I don't see crops. But here's what you and I didn't remember. God says, when you give, that seed is never lost. That seed, just like that seed sown by the farmer, contrary to all appearances, is never lost, but says potential, potential, potential for an abundant harvest. He says, so does your giving, because I'm at work. I'm God. You might not see life change right away. You might not see, especially in this time when we can't gather together, we're like, God, are you doing anything? God says, I am at work. Trust me on this. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them, with everyone else. The second impact is that when we give to God's work, it results in, check this out, people praising God, people coming to know Jesus, people realizing who he is. Do you know why? The Bible says over and over and over again that our generosity, especially sacrificial generosity, gives credibility to the idea that maybe there really is a God who has come in Jesus and became poor so that we could become rich. The people of the wor world heard with their ears the message of new life, but they saw with their eyes the, in that community the embodiment of that new life by the way they sacrificially gave to the people with needs. And you see it happening all over the book of Acts. And they turned their world upside down. I wonder, why haven't we turned Chicago upside down? Why? Could it be? Could it be? That they don't see in this kingdom community the embodiment of the radical generosity of our Savior. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace, surpassing grace, surpassing grace God has given you. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Where does the ultimate motivation to give like this come from? How, Peter, can I trust God with my future? If you want to be sure of the future, God says, I want you to look back to the past. If you want to be certain of the future, unknown future, God, will you be there? God says, I need you to look to the past. What is true faith? True faith is surrendering your future and trusting God's character, which is the same yesterday and today. Say with me, forever. Romans 8, 32. Since he did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Our Heavenly Father can be trusted. Jesus proved it by trusting his Father, even to the point of death, knowing that God would raise him back to life. Jesus proved that not even go grave, not even the grave can separate us from God's love. And if this is true, then we have nothing to fear. Faith is believing that no matter what happens, how dangerous the world may appear, nothing could separate us from the love of God in Christ. Even as the world panics during this crisis, we are not afraid. Why? Because I am not in control, but I am deeply loved by the one who is. I am not in control, but I am deeply, unconditionally, eternally loved by the one who is. So I leave you with this last word. Shift your focus from all the what ifs, Peter, to what is. And here is what is true about Jesus. Death could not defeat him. And the grave could not hold him. He is the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's what is true about Jesus. At his name, darkness trembles. In his presence, demons flee. And one day, he will have supremacy over all things. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's who Jesus is. He is my sure foundation that anchors me through rocky waters. He is my provider that sustains me in times of need. And he is my shelter in times of trouble that protects me and guards me. His timing is perfect and his track record is perfect. He is faithful. He can be trusted. The one who holds the unknown future is able. That's who he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. He is. Do you know that there is a living example of what I just preached about right in our community that I want to share to encourage you, hopefully, and challenge you? Humble Park United Methodist Church is a member of the Logan Square Ecumenical Alliance, which is a network of churches here in our community. And New Community is a part of it. Let me tell you a little about HP, uh, HPUMC. It's majority Latinx congregation, many who are in the category of the working poor, and there are a number of families who are undocumented or mixed status, meaning some of the family is here with legal documents and others are not able to have them. They're small church, they're small congregation. And since the onset of COVID-19, 23 of their families, a large percentage of families and households, 
are either completely unemployed or severely underemployed. The vast majority of these families will not receive anything from the stimulus package because they don't have a social security number. And though many have what's called an individual taxpayer identification number, they're excluded from that deal. Most of the families don't know when they'll be able to return to work because many of them work as hotel workers or cleaners in downtown offices, home health care aides, nannies, and other in the service and hospitality industry. So in response to their situation, HPUMC decided to have a solidarity fund to help their people cover basic needs like rent, mortgage payments, food, basic necessities, other legal and medical needs that may arise that are not covered for them when many of them are living from paycheck to paycheck. You know what this past May or June, you did, new community? Do you know what you did? We collected a tithe, some of you remember, that was given to HPUMC Solidarity Fund, a fund that was set up to support our brothers and sisters who are being disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. 30 gifts, 30 gifts amounting to $8,796 is how much you, church family, gave to this sister church in our community. But more than that, you know what encouraged me? It's what I found out. There are a number of gifts that people gave. Seeds. Number of gifts. The lowest amount given, single gift, was $14.34. We had someone, and I'm reminded of that, of that widow with two copper coins, remember? Jesus, right there, that's what I'm talking about. There are people in our church say, I don't have a lot of seeds right now. I have $14.34 that I can afford to give, and yet they gave. And you know what it resulted in? Many expressions of thanksgiving to God and God receiving all the glory. And Pastor Paula Cripps Vallejo, who pastored the church, recorded a thank you video to you, church family. So I want you to take a look at this amazing, encouraging news. Greetings of grace and peace to you, my sisters and brothers at New Community Covenant Church. My name is Reverend Paula Cripps Vallejo, and I have the honor of being the pastor at Humboldt Park United Methodist Church. We're actually located here in Logan Square with you and are so honored to have you as a sister church and a part of uh, Christ's body here in Chicago. I wanted to stop and thank God for each and every one of you and for the commitment that you all have shown to God's kingdom in so many ways. And I especially want to thank God for you all and the contributions that you have made to the Humble Park United Methodist Church Solidarity Fund. Humble Park UMC has been a majority Latino congregation since the late 1960s. We provide affordable housing to 11 families on an ongoing basis on our campus. We have a domestic violence ministry called Mujeres and Mujeres, and we offer free clinical counseling um, in English and Spanish, a domestic violence survivor support group, advocacy and accompaniment to women and others who may be experiencing or trying to leave domestic violence situations. And we partner with Justice for Our Neighbors, a Methodist immigration ministry to um, offer free legal immigration services. You are helping the family who has 
already struggled with COVID-19 and has lost weeks or months of work and doesn't qualify for any federal aid or support or they work for companies who have no care for their worker and won't receive anything because of that. You're helping the family who's worried about losing the roof over their head because they've lost their employment, they're in industries and jobs that um, don't have work right now and they don't know when they will return to work. And you're just helping those who struggle on a daily basis because of the brokenness and sinfulness of our immigration system and the constant racism that is the U.S. economy. So thanks be to God for you, for your gift of grace given through the Solidarity Fund. We will continue to strive forward, not to go back to normal, but to create a new world that God wants, where there is not this kind of suffering and pain and sorrow and injustice. And so in closing, I wanna share with you a passage, a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24b through 26. And then God's word says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. My understanding of solidarity is that we lift up those who have been cast aside, and that's what you are doing through helping us in our solidarity fund. And that when my people are suffering, that means your people are suffering. And when your people are suffering, it means my people are suffering. And that we have to work together so that all of God's people, all of God's body here on earth is honored. And that we can rejoice, yes, of course, in that great heavenly feast, but also rejoice here together. So again, thanks be to God for you all and for your commitment to what God is doing at Humble Park UMC. Many blessings of peace and light and joy and liberation to you. And thanks be to God for what you have done to help truly save lives um, in this trying time. Peace and blessings. Thank you, Pastor Paula, for those kind, kind words. And New Community Church family, I hope this encourages you as you think about the unknown future. You're going, this is all I got. God says, trust me. Be faithful. The one who holds the unknown future says, I love you. I am for you. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your indescribable gift. Sins forgiven, robed in righteousness, fully known, deeply loved, citizens of heaven and heirs of the new earth. We declare today that only your love satisfies the longing of our souls, heals the brokenness of our stories, and comforts us in all of our afflictions, sadness, and fears. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding us every second, every minute of our lives about the tenderness and compassion that our Heavenly Father has for us. In response to your great love for us, Jesus, 
You call us to love others with the love you've lavished on us. Jesus, help us to love well. Help us to love well in light of this pandemic. Help us not to live for our own protection, but for our neighbor's good. Instead of hoarding, help us to choose a radical, sacrificial generosity. Jesus, on the cross, you remind us that you value us beyond all calculation and imagination. Captured by the beauty of this truth, may we value the riches of the gospel 10,000 times more than the fleeting riches of this world. Show us how to spend the limitless currency of grace on each other in wonderful, wise, and extravagant ways. May we think of you above everything else, and may we put the interests, feelings, and needs of others above our own. It is in your powerful, wonderful, majestic name that all of God's people prayed and said, Amen. Amen.